Welcome to PE Talks Africa, the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association's podcast. In this series, industry leaders will share their views on the investment landscape in Africa and will discuss latest trends covering fundraising, deal making, value creation and exits across private equity, credit and venture capital. In the seventh episode, Henry Kianda, Chief Executive Officer and Trust Secretary at the Kenya Power Pension Fund. Asane Muyedine, Chief Executive Officer of the Financial Services Cluster at Axian Group. And Richard Tusabe, Director General at the Rwanda Social Security Board, address the opportunities and challenges for African institutional investors. This panel on mobilizing local capital is moderated by Hani Asad, co-founder Chief Portfolio and Risk Officer and Chief Compliance Officer at Advanced Capital. Good afternoon. Um, my name is Hani Assad. Um, I'm co-founder of a, a fund of funds, a multi-manager asset manager. We invest across all emerging markets from uh, China to Brazil and the whole everything and all of Africa. Uh, we've been investing for a number of years, so we've got a long experience in the business. Um, today's uh, conversation is about uh, uh, investors, African investors investing in private equity. And we're going to explore what their strategies are, what do they do and how they do it, and why they do it. So all of these questions around why do local institutional investors are investing in private equity, and then are they willing to invest in funds today or not? So that's, uh, we're going to be a little bit more controversial by asking those kind of questions. Are you willing to do it or not? To start with, we're going to ask uh, each of the distinguished panel panelists to introduce themselves, their organization, their strategy, and what they want to do. So you get everything in one go to start with, and then we're going to open it up afterwards. So we start, we'll start with you, Henry. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Hani. Uh, uh, my name is Henry. Um, uh, with the Kenya Power Pension Fund. Uh, this is a local pension fund. Uh, our membership is drawn from the electricity uh, utility in Kenya. Uh, we've been around for uh, 30 uh, odd years. And uh, we've invested in uh, uh, quite a myriad of uh, asset classes uh, that include the traditional asset classes in fixed income, uh, in listed equity, and uh, in real estate. Um, with regard to uh, our private equity investment, uh, I must say it's uh, been a somewhat different uh, uh, experience and journey. Uh, we have uh, invested in uh, private equity directly and through funds. Uh, what happened is that there was a chance investment uh, 20 years ago uh, to invest in a power project. And from there then we were able uh, to invest uh, in private equity quite easily. Uh, we are uh, an assets under management, uh, currently stand at uh, $350 million. Uh, we have been growing at a steady uh, rate of close to 20% per annum, uh, meaning that in the next six to seven years, uh, we should be at the $1 billion uh, mark. Uh, we are open to investing uh, in private equity, as I've said, and in uh, direct investments. Thank you. Thank you. And um, 
Hassan, you're the only corporate uh, investor on the panel, um, and it's a somewhat unusual to have a corporate having a private equity strategy. Um, I think I know very few in Africa that do that. Um, so can you explain to us, first of all, the, where are you in terms of the universe, which part of the world, <laughs> what you do, and uh, the company itself, and why are you doing this? Why are you getting into private equity? Okay, well, honey, thank you. Uh, my name is uh, Hassan Muyedin. I'm the chief exec executive officer of uh, uh, the financial services cluster of Axian Group from Madagascar. Axian Group is a family group operating in the Indian Ocean uh, in, main four in four sectors, telecommunications, energy, uh, real estate, and financial services. Uh, why we uh, why we uh, we invest in, in the private equity? Uh, when we defined our strategy of expansion uh, for the group in uh, few years ago, uh, we uh, we came to the conclusion that uh, the expansion we, we should be an African player. We should develop our activity in Africa, and we we should build an African destiny for the group. It's our uh, uh, natural expansion. Africa is our natural exp expansion. Uh, when, uh, how, how, we do, how we do that? We have two ways to do that. We, have, uh, we, we, can, we can go via direct investment, and we did it, in, uh, for example, in Senegal, buying Tigo with our, in partnership with Xavier Niel from Iliad and uh, uh, Yerim Sou from Senegal. And we, we took also the way of, uh, of the private equity. We invested already in uh, Amethyst, uh, in ECP, in Adenia, in Partic Africa, and in uh, Miracap, which is a local fund of INP. It's an impact investing fund dedicated to SME in Madagascar. Um, there is four reasons for our investment in the private equity, but the main one is uh, I see that the private equity funds is really uh, some sort of uh, uh, observation tower about the business in Africa from where we can learn. We can learn about the business, about the sectors, about the activity, and about the geography. And we, we, it, give, it gives us also the opportunity to co-invest and to buy out when, when exit. And for all of this reason, we, 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 we are investing in. Uh, sure, we are looking also for diversification of our activity. We have top positions in the Indian Ocean, and we want to diversify. And Africa is the land for this diversification. Uh, third, of course, we are uh, entrepreneur, and we uh, we look also for high potential return. And uh, fourth, uh, we have an approach of uh, impact investing, uh, and it's not uh, it's not really only words and uh, ESG reporting. We believe, we strongly believe, that the development of our business and the business in Africa uh, will go uh, will grow significantly if. Uh, the, if there is human and social development of the population and the emergence of uh, and middle class in this con in the continent. Thank you, Hassan. Um, <clears throat> so, Richard, um, you've been uh, five months on the job as Director General of the Rwanda uh, Social Security. No, did I get it right? Social Investment Board. Social Security Investment Board. Social Security Board, right? And um, and. Um, there have now movements on what you're planning to do with uh, 
the, the, the board and what kind of investments you're looking at. But let's just first, because I think the audience may not know what the structure and what you're doing. Uh, and I should also say that as the Director General of the Tax Authority before that, you bring in a very interesting perspective to, uh, to things. So if you can bring in that perspective as well, it would be interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, like Han mentioned, I'm the Director General of London Social Security Board, a job that I took over five months ago. Previously, I was heading the tax administration in Rwanda for over five years. So I'm very excited to join the new family and to learn from the best. But coming back to your question, I think, what are we doing as Rwanda Social Security Board? Our mandate is quite diverse. We do learn the traditional pension fund. It's a defined benefit pension fund. And that has been existing for many, many years. But uh, Rwanda being who we are in terms of caring for inclusive growth, we've gone back to say, okay, this traditional pension fund covers only 6% of the working population. So where is the 94%? How do we capture the 94% that many follows into the informal sector setup? So last year in December, we launched what we call a long-term savings scheme, which is open to the traditional pensioner savers, but also to the informal sector. And it is quite simple to use. It is based on USSD mobile phone in terms of saving. You can save in real time, you can save on a daily. And there is also a carrot part of it where the government even co-finances you, especially when you fall into the, the, the poor category of the, our population in terms of the band, what we call category one and category two. But again, Rwanda Social Security Fund Board has a mandate of covering the health sector. In 2003, a medical scheme was introduced, what we call LAMA, basically to cover the salaried employees, both private and public, but for public being mandatory. So like myself, I'm, my medical cover is under that scheme. Again, this was covering only about 5% of the population. So where's the other 95%? So in 2016, the government gave us a mandate of covering the universal health coverage, covering the whole population on insurance cover. So that's a picture of what we are doing. Then in 2016, in terms of inclusive growth, in terms of caring for women, our mothers, we came up with another scheme called maternity leave. Because the mothers could not breastfeed properly, because they are being paid 20% of their salary during maternity leave period. So the government came up with a scheme where we all contribute to that fund about 0.3% of our salary to cater for the mothers to breastfeed for, six, for 12 weeks while they are being paid 100% of their salary. So that's the picture of our mandate. And it's quite a cross-cutting picture, but again, it speaks to volumes to our philosophy of inclusive growth. But uh, talking about investment, again, you allow me to share with you where we are as a country. We've managed to register 
consistently over the past couple of years, at least seven to eight percent GDP growth year on year. We've managed to alleviate poverty for over one million people in the last 10 years. So all these are speaking to our sustainability. And the economic growth is mainly found on the sustainability of the macroeconomic stability fundamentals, being inflation, being the, the currency depreciation, being debt levels, we are very, very well positioned as we speak today. But again, when you look at our demographics in terms of population, the genocide again in 1994 again had an impact on our demographics today. We have about 75% of our population being below 35 years of age. So what does that mean to our mandate? It means yesterday we can easily collect contributions, pay out with ease, because we still have a, number, a small number of pensioners, but what about 40, 50 years down the road? And that's why I think we need to focus our discussion when we start talking to private equity actors. So that the change now that we have is how do we invest in a compounded, in investments that give us a compounded rate of return that is decent enough to speak to our mandate 30, 40 years to speak our, to our demographics. So I, I think that's where we are. And when you look at our investment policy, again, it gives us that space. We can invest within Rwanda to a maximum of 85%, and we can invest outside the geographical location of Rwanda a maximum of 15%. So by speaking to the GDP growth, the macroeconomic stability, I think Rwanda still has a lot to offer in terms of investment. And one of the challenges that we are facing as the Social Security Board is that our capital market is still young. You, don't have, you have less than 10 companies listed on stock exchange. So you find yourself investing in some of equity stakes directly without the expertise that the PE actors would give us, without proper possible due diligence, without exit strategy that you could offer. So I think for me, attending this conference is a very opportune time really to leverage and see how do we package that journey and invest in the investments that are going to speak to our structural challenges, but also at the, same, at the same time giving assurance to our members in terms of sustainability of the scheme. So I really look forward to hear from the audience and how you think we can package that journey. Thank you. Just to pick up on that, sir. So the question is always, how much money does that mean for fund managers to go after, oh. right? That's very self-centered kind of questions if you're interested in. <laughs> so in, in, in your 15% uh, outside of uh, Rwanda, and then out of that, I think you have 7% also private equity. Yeah. How much money does that represent? What's the AUM, by the way, that you manage? The, the AUM that we are managing today, thank you very much, is about $1 billion. And the 15% that we are talking about to invest outside in terms of our asset allocation, we have invested in fixed income, invested in real estate, invested in direct equity investments. I must say we are not yet in private equity by the, by the rules of the game, and we are really excited to see how do we get into that space to leverage 
on the expertise that we see in the PE actors. Thank you. Now, um, and, and I'm just going to jump around. So for you, Henry, in terms of your AUM and you, what is your strategy? Where do you want to see your money being deployed and why within? So the, the logic behind the strategy itself. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, our fund is uniquely uh, different from the typical Kenyan uh, pension fund uh, because we went into private equity even before uh, regulation had specifically provided an asset class uh, for private equity. Uh, so our, as I speak, uh, we are invested uh, uh, close to or committed uh, to the tune of $12 million and we are looking at investing up to uh, 4 to $6 million per annum uh, going forward uh, for the longest period that we can project. Over the next 10 years probably we shall be able to invest uh, or to commit uh, between 4 and $6 million uh, per annum. Uh, the market as a whole uh, has not caught up to where we were. Uh, but we are leading uh, a, buried, uh, a grouping of uh, pension funds where we have, we have set up uh, what we are calling the Kenya, uh, uh, Kenya Pension Fund Investment Consortium uh, that uh, is looking at catalyzing investments in alternatives. Uh, we are a leader and uh, a proponent uh, for private equity because we have invested uh, directly into companies, we are invested into PE, and uh, Something that is happening again in our market is that the market uh, or the growth in pension funds uh, has been extremely huge. Uh, we are seeing a tenfold increase in assets under management over the last, uh, say, 18 years, uh, which means that uh, trustees are now actually being forced to look at alternative uh, classes and uh, look at a wider universe of uh, opportunities in the market uh, to allow us deploy these funds. Our uh, market, uh, and especially the stock market, is not deep enough. Uh, we are looking at the numbers recently, and uh, our fund is invested 17% in the stock market, uh, assets under management. Out of that 17%, 16% relates to only 10 equities. Uh, so there's a potential risk uh, for being too heavy, and that's why we are looking at uh, private equity as an asset class. Great. Um, since you have the mic, and, and I'll come to you, Hassan, in, in, in one second. Um, can you tell us how do you make decisions on allocations to private equity? Because okay. yesterday we heard from on the U.S. pension funds, how do they make the allocations and the role of the, the investment team versus the role of the trustees versus the investment consultants. Mm -hmm. So how do you make those decisions? Okay. Uh, the typical market uh, is similar to what uh, the U.S. Uh, pension funds were speaking about. I said our scheme is uh, uh, different from uh, the typical market. Uh, for the Kenya Power Pension Fund, we have an in-house management team that evaluates. Uh, of course, the trustees have set up uh, strategic asset allocations for the equity, uh, private equity, which currently stands at about uh, between 5 and 7% as, as a strategic uh, asset allocation. Uh, but the typical uh, pension fund, uh, the decisions have to be made by the trustees. And uh, maybe I could speak to uh, some of the obstacles that we are facing uh, or the general market is facing because of uh, the structure. Uh, the first thing that uh, uh, must uh, be dealt with uh, is a knowledge gap. Uh, we have uh, uh, typically a trustee who is not very 
astute in financial matters being required to make decisions on uh, private equity. Uh, we have trustees who up to today uh, cannot differentiate between an asset manager and a custodian. And this is the same trustee that you're expecting uh, to make a decision on private equity. Uh, so we need to bridge the uh, capacity and knowledge gap uh, to begin with. Uh, the other thing that we uh, need to look at is the structure of uh, our industry. Uh, so as you have rightly said, these trustees must make that decision uh, with regard to investment in private equity. And uh, usually uh, in our industry or in our market, they are required to make uh, or to get the input of the asset manager. And the asset manager we are speaking about is the asset manager that typically invests only in fixed income and uh, in the quoted equity. Uh, so this asset manager is called upon by the trustees uh, to evaluate and interrogate uh, GPs that are making presentations to them. Uh, of course, it's, there's conflict. Uh, one, because uh, the asset manager is paid based on asset uh, under management. And if he's being asked then to pull away some money and uh, give a GP, then uh, there's an issue. Uh, trustees also meet once uh, a quarter. So we're looking at having four meetings in a year. And during these meetings, they're considering issues to do with benefits uh, and other matters. And uh, we have a GP making a presentation and talking about carry, talking about pipeline, talking about things that trustees cannot relate with. Uh, so we need then uh, to relook uh, uh, at that. Uh, the other uh, uh, challenge or obstacle is uh, to do uh, with the risk uh, or illiquidity and exit uh, risk uh, because we find that, uh, of course, the GPs, uh, when they are making their presentations, and rightly so, do inform the trustees that there is a potential loss of asset and any uh, trustee uh, uh, who hears that there's a potential loss of uh, an asset, then uh, he, he can't touch, he can't touch. So we need to deal uh, with uh, those uh, uh, issues and uh, hopefully uh, through such dialogue, through uh, the KEPFIC uh, consortium that we are setting up, uh, we as Kenya Power Pension Fund then will play a leading role in educating other trustees on uh, the benefits of uh, investing uh, in private equity. Great. And <clears throat> Hassan, yeah, you're turned now to flip to the other side. The corporate, you're a corporate, which means you make decisions based on uh, returns and investments, etc. How, how do you make decisions on private equity? And do you go through committees and whatnot? And how does it work? And how does, long does it take you? And what do you do before even getting there? What do you ask the fund managers to do? Uh, do you go and solicit, uh, you know, uh, pitch books and others, or, or do you wait for them to come to you? So can you explain a little bit how you do your business? Okay, thank you, Hani. Uh, no, it, it wasn't, for us, it wasn't not easy to, uh, when we began uh, this uh, activity of private equity, but we decided in uh, 2016 to create an internal department dedicated to this activity, hiring some investment bankers from France, uh, Luxembourg, and Canada. And uh, I'm also extremely involved in this activity. Our approach is a classical approach uh, by due by due diligence. Uh, we work on strategy, on market opportunity, on a strategy of exit, and uh, investment process, uh, financials, terms, and legal. And we are supported for the legal. We are supported by our entity in Mauritius, Action Mauritius. 
But what is important for us in terms of when we work on the due deal is uh, um, the quality of the data room. It's something extremely important for us. The quality of the data room, the, the quality of the deal pipe, uh, the, the possibility of negotiation of the side later, which is something important to have some visibility on the deal flow, on the co-investment, because we, for our core business, we, we, we want to invest with the funds in, uh, in, this, act, in, in this activity in Africa. Uh, also, what we don't like is to be pressed to take the decision. And we, we prefer to be a, a master of the clock in this area. Uh, and there is, it's the due deal, but there is also some, maybe uh, two criteria uh, which are not uh, as rational as the due deal. The first one is the who, with whom we are investing. And it's important. Mm -hmm. uh, the, I can say uh, the positive and the personal contact we, uh, uh, we have with uh, the key person of the fund is something extremely important for us. And we look also for the personal track record of the fund managers uh, as, as important criteria. And finally, and it's not, it's really irrational and not rational, uh, I cannot, uh, we, 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 we say in, Fran in, in French, uh, flair, it's uh, uh, some, some sort of gut feel and feeling on, on, uh, on the investment. Uh, in certain cases, everything is okay, the due deal is okay, and there is positive contact, but we don't feel the deal, and we don't know why, I cannot explain. Huh? <laughs> it's maybe our experience in terms of business, and we, uh, we, uh, we decide to not invest. It's something uh, probably irrational. And when we put all of these criteria, I would say in the blender, you will have the decision. Then, uh, then uh, if I have to summarize, uh, you, you should, uh, uh, we should and you should uh, choose the best brand of, of, of blender to invest in the private equity. Thank so, you. Thank you. Uh, Richard, so you've got um, a country of 12 million people uh, and no private equity industry whatsoever. There's also a stock exchange with 10 companies, as you mentioned. Um, but you're also now saying we're going to allocate to private equity. What do you tell the private equity managers? Are you going to tell them you must invest in my country, which they will not do unless they see the opportunities? Uh, and or we say, I'm just interested in all of Sub-Saharan Africa or all of Africa or the rest of the world. What are your conditions? What, how do you view yourself vis-a-vis -vis the private equity that you, investment you're going to make? I think, I think that we... Basically, capital is going to be chasing good returns, of course, with minimum risk. But what, are, what we are saying, our view is that for if, they, if the Rwandan economy is growing by 8% every year, that tells you that there is still a huge potential for investments. And if you look at our balance of trade, there is still a huge potential to invest. So in my view, the, the PE actors who have the appetite for one, I think they can look at the Rwandan market as a potential market for investment, but without restricting them to the Rwandan market. Because we are saying we still have the 15% space, of which maybe we've written into about 70%, so there's still room to invest globally, as long as it speaks to the sustainability of the schemes and in terms of diversification, but also in terms of 
decent compounded returns. So I, I think it is the right time for the PE actors to come and venture into which investment they want to put in money in, and then we can see how to, to invest in them and one speak to our national structure challenges, our continental challenges as Africa, but also look at the global dynamics. So uh, I, I would say we're not going to be restrictive. Our investment policy is very flexible. And if the 15% space is not enough for people to play in, who, who knows? Maybe we can even consider changing that. But I think for me, what is important is to provide assurance on sustainability of our mandate and sustainability of the people that we are covering. 40, 50 years down the road, we should be able to cover the liabilities that might come at that point in time. So uh, I hope I've answered your question, but yeah, we, we are flexible to consider the investments that they want to put money in. So be, be, before I open to questions uh, from all of you, um, let me just put things in context because I see these uh, all over the world, these kind of issues. This is really very encouraging where you see domestic institutional investors focusing on investing in Africa and they're not setting conditions to you that you must do this or that. In, in the past they used to say you must do this in my country, open an office otherwise I don't invest with you. So this is really refreshing and that is really key because that's what's going to drive the industry forward. To have a corporate saying I'm interested in investing in funds that is also very, very refreshing. And then to say, you know, for a Kenyan pension fund, uh, <clears throat> to say that, yes, we know our limitations, we want to improve, we want to grow, very encouraging, and we need to support that effort in terms of how do we get over the, the constraints to allow the, the whole Kenyan pension fund industry to grow a lot more in private equity. So we've got all the ingredients. Why is this so critical for us? For, for me as an international investor, it's the domestic players that are the lead, normally the leading investors in the private equity. But in, in Africa, we have reversed this, and we need to just re, reposition to say domestic players, domestic institution players, have to play a role in private equity, and that's going to really grow the industry quite significantly. Um, so <clears throat> I'd like to see, uh, hear you questions to our distinguished panelists. They're really great guys, so please ask them good, good questions. <coughs> Thank you, Henry. Um, Henry, a question for you. So you mentioned this new uh, venture among the pension funds. Mm -hmm. Can you expand just to see what would the, be the governance decision-making okay. process? For example, talking to that group, uh, would, they, um, would they be one uh, representative of that group dealing with the fund and, and so on? So just if you could expand on that. Okay. Um, uh, we've just at the initial stages, so we are currently operating as a loose association, and we are taking steps to see how we could convert this probably uh, to an investment vehicle that would have its own internal mechanisms for evaluating deals. Uh, so what we are doing currently, we have a steering committee uh, made up of representatives from the various schemes that are currently looking at investment opportunities and we want to find a way of uh, pulling together to do the due diligence uh, to find the right uh, consultants to assist us uh, identify the good deals. 
as uh, is common in this part of the world, we don't have too much uh, uh, track record. And uh, it's always very difficult uh, to uh, identify the PE managers that would, uh, of course, deliver value. And of course, there are those uh, who have silver tongues uh, that are also uh, among them. And uh, that is what we are currently doing. Uh, so nothing concrete yet, uh, but it's a good move because the 14 pension funds that have signed up collectively have assets uh, under management of uh, close to uh, $2.5 billion. Thank you. A question on the geographical allocation. Um, you said that you have allocations for Africa, but how do you decide how much you want to allocate for Africa? Is it on, on past performance? Is it on future outlook? Is it on uh, political sometimes uh, requests to invest in the country or in Africa? Yeah. We'll start with Richard. Is that a question for, for it me? It can be both. I mean, okay. It's all, all of you. I think for, for, for Rwanda, Social Security Board, we, we don't have an allocation for Africa. We do have allocation for geogra geographically outside Africa. So it can be, sorry, outside Rwanda. So it can be Africa, it can be Asia, it can be America. So. 15% is what we have now, but depending on the dynamics, I think that number can change. So we, we, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wider envelope across the globe. How do you decide on the 15% Rwanda and uh, outside Rwanda and 85% Rwanda? Yeah, very good question. I think the 85% the is again to, because we look at our growth and our projections, in terms of economic development. So we are saying we need to keep this 85% for now because we still think there is huge pot potential to invest in Rwanda. And then the 15% you can take it outside. But again, the 15% you need to be strategic in terms of where we put your money. So what, you've been, what we are trying to do now, we are in discussion. We, we've, we've engaged, we engaged three fund managers so far. We are yet to sign a contract to see how can they take us in that space of the international platform. But also to scale up and bridge the capacity issues that we have. We also try to, to engage an investment advisory firm, which can also try to come and advise us. So you, Rwanda, like any other African country, we still have challenges in terms of capacity of the people behind these investments. So we are trying to leverage on the international platform to get a fund manager, to get a advisory firm to come and partner with us and walk that journey of long-term investment. Yeah, thank you. Do you want to? Yes. Uh, in our case, uh, we have allocated primarily to East African focused funds. Uh, this is because uh, the trustees would wish, uh, of course, uh, to have a feel as to which companies these uh, GPs are investing in. Uh, it also provides an opportunity for cross-referencing on what the GP is telling us. Uh, but uh, starting this year, uh, we've started looking at uh, uh, Africa-focused funds, Pan-African-focused uh, funds, uh, to provide the diversification uh, on uh, geography and, of course, across uh, uh, currency. Uh, because what we are seeing that uh, we need to have assets that are not correlated. 
so if we invest only in uh, East African funds, the stock market is affected. Uh, if the economy is affected generally, then uh, we are bound uh, to have higher risk. So we are looking at Pan-African funds. Uh, we'll allocate probably 20% uh, of our PE uh, allocation to Pan-African funds, and the rest uh, to East African funds. And mm. Hassan? Okay, uh, for us as a corporate, uh, we are extremely opportunistic. We, we really don't have uh, allocation and percentage uh, in East Africa, West Africa, uh, in terms of geography and in terms of sectors also. But we, we have focus, uh, yes, in uh, East, West, and North Africa. We have focus on our core businesses uh, activity. Uh, but we are, we are also open uh, to, uh, uh, to, to uh, see activities in, uh, for example, in the healthcare and education, which, is, which are not in our, uh, our core, core business. But no, no allocation. Thank you. Great questions. Uh, any other questions? Okay. So uh, <clears throat> one uh, little plug for AFCA, maybe it's a big one. Uh, but AFCA is actually great at capacity building uh, for trustees and um, and for you know uh, LPs in general, uh, but more institution uh, <clears throat> domestic institution in investors, and that is part of the mandate of AFCA. So, and that's what we want to encourage more of. This is how to build this industry across Africa to have very good investors across the table uh, so that not just the DFIs, I mean, I should give you a statistic that really scared me, if I may. Uh, <clears throat> traditionally, DFIs had accounted for 40% of the capital raised in any one year in Africa. Guess how much it reached last year? According to some statistics, which I need to confirm with AFCA and others, 60%. That, there's something wrong in that number. We need to change that number. So that's the effort that we all have to make to increase the, the proper utilization of domestic savings to go into private equity in Africa. Thank you very much. Um, great panel, and, uh, and I applaud the panelists for great answers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association, please visit avca-africa.org.